Hama Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Richard Dawkins will be joining us to talk about his new book, Greatest Show on Earth, The Evidence for Evolution. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. The power of the evolutionary theory to explain the diversity and abundance of life forms remains one of the hallmarks of modern science. Yet, despite its explanatory power, many individuals remain unconvinced or unaware of the evidence supporting evolution. Well, joins today to discuss this issue is Professor Richard Dawkins. Professor Dawkins is a fellow of the Royal Society and Royal Society for Literature, and the now-retired Charles Simoni Professor for Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University. Recipient of numerous honors and awards, and author of numerous publications, including The God Delusion and The Selfish Gene, his latest book, The Greatest Show on Earth, The Evidence for Evolution, discusses this topic for a general audience. Uh, Professor Dawkins, it's really a pleasure to have you today on The Grok Science Show. It's a pleasure. Thank you. This is really a fascinating book you've written here, The Greatest Show on Earth, in which you talk about the evidence for evolution. I'm curious, you've written books about evolution in the past. Why another book? This one is about the evidence that it's true. Perhaps a little bit surprisingly, my other books assumed that my readers uh, thought that it was true, and I was trying to illuminate various aspects of it. Um, As you've just said in your introductory remarks, it turns out that there is a fairly substantial number of people in America who don't accept that it's true, as you said, uh, either willfully or, or through ignorance. And I was trying to do something about that. Why do you think this is, that there is this gap in knowledge, especially for such a widely and uh, long-established theory such as that of evolution? Yes, it, it's not only long-established, it's also utterly fascinating, and that's what makes it so sad, because given that it is the explanation for our existence, the existence of all living things, it's the, it's, it is the explanation for, what, for why we're here. It seems positively tragic that so many people don't know about it, don't understand it, and positively, in their ignorance, disagree with it. As to why, well, I'm afraid one has to lay the blame at the door of religion, because it is probably misunderstood, since most respectable bishops and vicars and people do accept evolution. Nevertheless, a lot of people think that their religion is incompatible with evolution, and instead of going with the evidence for the truth, they go with their religion. So largely one of believing in the religious explanations of things like creationism rather than accepting the scientific evidence. Yes, in which respect they depart from what, for example, the Pope would say or what any bishop would say. Uh, Do you think it's perhaps particularly more prevalent in the United States than in other countries? There is some evidence for that. There's some poll evidence for that. Um, The United States is way down... I think only just above Turkey in the figures, and mm. all, other, all the European countries are score better. So it is a bit of a mystery, because the United States is, of course, the leading scientific and technological nation in the world. So there's an odd mismatch there. Mm. Do you think this has to do with just a lack of communication from scientists to the general public regarding the powers of evolution? 
Well, who am I to say? I'm, I'm not a student of American history. Um, I suppose it does have roots fairly deep in American history. Does it go back perhaps to the Pilgrim Fathers? It certainly doesn't go back to the Founding Fathers because they, although they lived before Darwin, they were kind of men who would undoubtedly have embraced Darwin warmly. Mm. Well, the book itself, trying to lay out the theory and the mechanism of evolution and then also the evidence supporting evolution, what is the current evolutionary theory and what do scientists think uh, is the process by which evolution occurs? Well, the current theory is pretty much the same as Darwin's with the difference that Darwin didn't know anything about genetics. And so from about the 1930s onwards, Darwinism has sometimes been called neo-Darwinism, which is a joining up of Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection with Mendel's theory of genetics, which is a kind of digital genetics, the idea that that a gene is something that you either have or you don't have in a, in a digital way. And so as the generations go by, evolutionary change on the ground consists in changes in frequencies of genes in gene pools. So some genes become more frequent in the gene pool, other genes become less frequent. And the reason why some genes become more frequent is that they're good genes, where good is defined as good at surviving, and the way in which they achieve their survival is by building, through the processes of embryology, building good bodies, bodies that survive, bodies that reproduce, bodies that are sexually attractive, and so on. So as the generations go by, the bodies that we see get better at doing what they do, which is survive in all the different ways, whether it's by hunting or grazing, burrowing, flying, etc., all the different ways in which different animals survive, they get better at it because of natural selection. Again, it's largely governed by those genes which are particularly fit for the environment. That's right, and fit for the environment is precisely why some genes survive, and what we observe is improvements in the machinery of the animal or plant body. Hmm. Why is it then that these sort of evolutionary changes occur, or what's the evidence then for the evolutionary changes occurring through this process of natural selection? Well, there's a lot of different evidence. Fossil evidence is picturesque and colorful, but it's not really necessary. There's a lot of fossil evidence, but um, in certain groups of animals, there's more than others. More convincing evidence, I think, even more convincing evidence, because the fossil evidence is very convincing. Um, Even more convincing evidence is the evidence from comparing modern animals with each other. In Darwin's time, Darwin was able to do that using comparative anatomy. Nowadays, we can supplement that well, supplement's too mild a word, really, because it's a, a huge supplement with molecular genetic information. And because the DNA is a digital code, it's just like computer code, you can actually take any pair of animals you like and compare their DNA literally letter by letter and count the number of differences, literally count mm. the number of differences. And that gives you an extraordinarily powerful measure of similarity and difference. And when you plot the similarities and differences between any sets of pairs of animals you like, you get a beautiful hierarchical tree. And it's the same tree if you do it with different genes. Mm. And it's hard to imagine what that hierarchical tree could be but a family tree, but a pedigree. Mm. So that's very powerful evidence. And really, I think, almost equally powerful, not, not quite equally, but nearly as powerful, is the evidence from geographical distribution, which Darwin himself made great use of, and which um, we can make even more use of today in light of the 
theory of um, plate tectonics and continental drift. Mm. So at the level of the gene, one can see in the comparison of various genes at that very basic level, presumed evolutionary changes that have occurred among species. Yes. Mm. You know, a lot of the sort of evidences for conveying to the general public seems oftentimes a little bit removed from daily experience. Is there a way in which this uh, can be given more immediate daily examples? Well, Darwin himself made great use of domestication, mm-hmm. and, and I do as well in The Greatest Show on Earth. It is very striking how much change, evolutionary change, you can accomplish by comparatively few generations of selective breeding. Mm-hmm. When you think of all the different breeds of dogs, which are domesticated wolves, it's, <laughs> it's hard to imagine a Pekingese being a wolf, but that's what it is. And it's a modified wolf modified by human breeding. And such great changes can be achieved in just a few centuries. So you then have to imagine, well, how much more change could be achieved by selective breeding in hundreds of millions of years? And that, of course, is what natural selection does. Mm -hmm. Darwin's great insight was to see that domestic breeding, artificial selection, was only one example of selective breeding, and that was one that anybody could understand. As you say, that's something down to earth, that's something close at hand, something that people can appreciate directly by personal experience. And what Darwin realized was that the same process goes on in nature, only there is no selector. It's just willy-nilly the process of survival or non-survival, success in reproduction or failure at reproduction, which automatically plays the role of the selective breeder. So we're talking with Professor Richard Dawkins about his new book, The Greatest Show on Earth. So oftentimes people come up with a lot of counterexamples, or or at least they try and point to gaps, for example, in the fossil record, which says, well, how can you explain these very abrupt changes that seem to have occurred, at least based on what we see in the fossils? Yes, I think it's a bit presumptuous to expect that the fossil record should give you a literally continuous cinematic movie of what happened. (laughs) Um, We're lucky to have fossils at all, and fossils are, of course, not a movie. They're a series of still flash photographs, if you like, of what happened, very imperfect flash photographs, and they are intermittent. Obviously, they're intermittent. How could they be any better than that? So we are lucky to have fossils at all, and... I suppose perhaps the most telling fact is that although there are gaps in the fossil record, there is not, it doesn't go the other way, there's not a single example of a fossil in the wrong time and place, Mm -hmm. which would be curtains for evolution. As J.B.S. Haldane said, one fossil rabbit in the Precambrian. That would disprove evolution utterly. Nothing like that has ever been found. And so even though there are gaps, there are no positive examples of fossils in the wrong place. There are also, of course, many examples of major groups of animals that have no fossils at all. So we have living flatworms, for instance, living turbellaria, which are it's a, it's a beautiful, diverse, rich, flourishing, modern group of animals. Not a single fossil, but nobody, not even a creationist, thinks that they were all born yesterday. <laughs> the, the, the flatworms have been around, in their view, at least since the creation. And during all that time when, again, according to the creationists, most of the other animals have been fossilizing, flatworms apparently haven't. Well, I mean, that's sufficient evidence that it's possible for animals to live without leaving fossils. Hmm. Is it somewhat surprising, you know, a lot of the creationist arguments oftentimes have to go through a lot of gymnastics in a way to try and explain a lot of features of evolution, even try and explain various geological features. Isn't it somewhat odd that they have to keep backing up and trying to come up with ad hoc explanations for their theory? 
Well, that's exactly what they do, and, mm. and I suppose it's inevitable, given that the, the, the way they work is, instead of looking at the evidence, they, they look at the scripture. They say, well, that we know is true. The Bible is true. And therefore, if the scientific evidence appears to contradict it, we're going to have to find a way of <laughs> twisting the scientific evidence. So we will, for example, invent a change in the rate of decay of radioactive isotopes in order to make the world only 6,000 years old instead of four and a half billion years old, which is what it what the evidence shows. But yes, you're right. I mean, it is an extraordinarily contorted, twisted procedure of, of illogic that they use. Mm. Perhaps part of the issue, of course, from the religious community is, is this idea that if evolution were true, is there's really no basis for humans being special in the world, or that there's no kind of moral imperative for our behavior. Sort yes. of, yeah. I mean, those are two, two different things, and yeah. I think you're right that both of those are important to them. They mm-hmm. want humans to be special, and they want a moral in- imperative. I mean, the first thing to say about that is that the truth doesn't owe humanity a reason for morality. It, it, you, ca- you cannot say that because it would be nice if we had a reason for morality, or it w- would be nice if humans were special. Therefore, it has to be true that, he, that, that the creation happened. The truth is the truth, and to hell with humans. However, we don't have to say that because, of course, there's a basis for morality without religion. And, of course, there are plenty of reasons for regarding humans as special, if that's what you want to do. Humans have evolved to be special. We are special. We've evolved in a very unusual way. Uh, We've evolved language, which is unique. We've evolved a very rich culture, which is unique. We've evolved the ability to do science and mathematics and philosophy, all of which are unique. Of course, humans are unique. They're unique whether we've evolved or not. Um, And of course, we have the basis for for morality. And it's actually rather insulting to suggest that religious people are the only people who have morals. If you actually look at the evidence, it rather goes the other way. Yes, in your book, The God Delusion, you, you somewhat argue that religious ideas are perhaps the cause of a lot of strife in, in the world. Well, I think you could make that case. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, that there are other causes of strife in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go along with the view that religion is the root of all evil. <laughs> but certainly it is. A Religion is a pretty powerful source of discord and strife, yes. Mm-hmm. So would you sort of impart the view that that scientific view of the world and our place in it is really equally beautiful to that posed by religious ideas? I think it's far more beautiful. I mean, I think it's, an, it's a, a fact of astounding beauty. Sorry, we've got a lot of ambulances and things going by. Um, <laughs> it, it's a fact of astounding beauty that on this one planet, this deserted rock hurtling around a star, something utterly remarkable happened. A process got going about four billion years ago. A process got going gradual evolution by natural selection, step by step, which lifted physics into the realm of biology, so that we now have birds, butterflies, bees, flowers, trees, moles, raccoons, apes, and humans, miles away from anything that could possibly have been predicted purely on the basis of the laws of physics, and yet the laws of physics are never violated. A beautiful thought. It is indeed. What do you think it would take for this kind of view then to percolate more throughout society? I would like to think that exposure to the evidence would do it, and I think for the majority of people it would. There are a certain number of people who will remain unshaken by the evidence, and we know that because we have the testimony of some people who definitely do have access to the evidence, and even at some level understand it, and to explicitly say, even though the evidence shows 
that the world is old, for example. I choose to believe that the world is young because that's what Holy Scripture tells me. Well, somebody like that who already knows the evidence seems to me and, and positively states his intention to ignore it and deny it. You're not going to reach that sort of person. But my hope is, and I think it's a well-justified hope, that there are an enormous number of people who actually haven't been exposed to the evidence and who, if they were exposed to it, would immediately embrace it and say, how fascinating, yes, of course. It maybe even goes far as T.H. Huxley, Darwin's contemporary, who said, how extremely stupid of me not to have thought of that. It is a lovely theory. It's a beautiful theory, and it's backed up by all the evidence. And I think that most people, if they were properly exposed to the evidence, given a proper education, they would see that too. Is it somewhat disheartening that uh, oftentimes a lot of political leaders are not very well versed as well in the theory of evolution? Well, I suppose they're busy people, and uh, you can't expect them to be well versed in everything. However, as I said before, it is the reason why we all exist. It's pretty important, really. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are less important things. Um, so I, I would have thought that it should be part of anybody's general education, and perhaps especially a politician in power to be aware of the reason why he exists. (laughs) One would hope. Well, we are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have a final message regarding generally the theory of evolution, of course, closing words regarding your new book, The Greatest Show on Earth. Well, although the book is aimed at convincing people by means of evidence, it's really a higher aim is to to thrill and to to excite because it is, the, the world of life is a beautiful world and one of the most beautiful things about it is that we understand it and the way we understand it is through Darwin's massive insight. Well, the new book is called The Greatest Show on Earth, The Evidence for Evolution. Uh, Professor Dawkins, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you very much indeed. And you were just listening to Professor Richard Dawkins discussing his new book, The Greatest Show on Earth. This is the Grox Science Show. We'll be right back.
All right, ready to play the game? The game is the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Joins today is Professor Jerry Coyne. Professor Coyne is the renowned evolutionary biologist whose work has appeared in numerous scientific articles and popular works on the subject. He is currently a professor here at the University of Chicago in the Department of Ecology and Evolution. And his newest book, Why Evolution is True, explores the theory of evolution for a general audience. Professor Coyne, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Good to be here. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, highly evolved or still evolving. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're highly evolved or still evolving and maybe a little reason why. Professor Coyne, you ready to play the game? Sure. Okay, here we go. Person number one, highly evolved or still evolving, the talk show host, Jerry Springer. I'm not familiar with Mr. Springer, but from what I know of him, I'd say he's certainly not highly evolved. Um, his program panders to the lowest form of humanity, so definitely still evolving and not necessarily evolving at all. Stuck in the chimpanzee stage, I'd say. Maybe regressing a bit. Yeah, regressing, in fact. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, number two is the uh, Apple CEO, Steve Jobs. Um, highly evolved. He's done a tremendous amount of things for humanity. I mean, just even though he's done it as a business, it's... I mean, every academic, and those of you listening to me, have had their lives improved because of him. So certainly highly evolved, and he's still evolving. I mean, evolution never ends, really, and biologically, and I don't think mental evolution or technological evolution ever ends, but he's certainly higher up than Jerry Springer. So. <laughs> well, it's good news for Apple, then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, number three is famed evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. Oh, highly evolved, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's sort of a hero of mine, both in his outspokenness and in his ability to turn the public on to evolution. He's probably the best popular science writer we have, and I have a lot of admiration for him. He's getting a lot of flack because he's also an outspoken atheist, but I think people owe it to themselves to listen to what he has to say rather than dismiss him for being aggressive. Definitely highly evolved. <laughs> Number four is uh, Wall Street huckster Bernie Madoff. Definitely not evolved enough. He's certainly acquired many of the traits that animals like, such as greed and self-acquisitiveness. He has those in ample supply. Um, he hasn't evolved, apparently, the higher moral instincts of humans, so he'd be on the lower end of the scale, probably much lower than Jerry Springer, who, after all, is not a fraud. He's just a showman. So. <laughs> All right, and finally, number five, it's President of the United States, Barack Obama. Highly evolved. I'm a big Obama supporter. He's an intelligent human being. He has a lot of compassion. He's well-educated. I think his intentions are good. Certainly highly evolved, and he's got a long way to go. There's room for progress, but I think we can all be pretty optimistic that we have a good guy in charge. All right, well, uh, Professor Quinn, I do want to thank you for playing our game, the Grokatron 5000. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Groks, you can email us at groks at hotmail.com. For the Grok Science Show, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.